speaking this morning on the long, hard road to repentance. The long, hard road to repentance. We have been looking at the life of Joseph from the pit to the palace and uh, preaching through the book of Genesis. And it's just amazing the truth that we found in the scriptures about Jesus Christ all the way back in the book of Genesis. Do you remember what Jesus Christ said? He said to the Pharisees, he said, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. Amen. And of course, at that point, that's that's I think it's uh, John five thirty nine. At that point, all they had was the Old Testament. So he's telling them, search the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is what testifies of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 24, as he's on the road to Emmaus, he says, Oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And beginning at Moses and the prophets, he, uh, spoke, he, he expounded in all the scriptures concerning himself. It's all about Jesus. Isn't that good? The Old Testament, it's all about Jesus Christ. And so in the life of Joseph, we have been searching for information about Jesus. And so now where we are is this. Joseph, when he's 17 years old, his father has put him in charge of his older brothers. And he brought to his father their evil report because they weren't doing well. Joseph was faithful and told his father the truth, and that made his brothers mad. They hated him. Well, then God revealed to Joseph that one day his brothers would bow down before him. And naively, he told them that. And so they conspired to kill him. They said, will, he, will thou indeed reign over us? It's Genesis 37, 8. Will thou indeed reign over us? Will thou indeed have dominion over us? You know, that's the definition of the lordship of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is your Lord, he reigns over you. And he has dominion over you. How do we know that? Because in Genesis chapter 41, when they bowed before him, Genesis chapter 42, when they bowed before him, they said, my Lord. (laughs) So if Jesus Christ is your Lord, he will reign over you. He'll have dominion over you. That means every decision is under his authority and his sovereignty. Amen. He's my Lord. I can't do that. Remember when uh, Potiphar's wife, they, they had sold his brother, sell him into slavery He's thrown in a pit. They bring him up out of the pit and they take him into Egypt and he's taken to a, to a slave market and he's sold like a piece of meat to the chief of the Pharaoh's guard, Potiphar. Well, he finds favor in Potiphar's sight and the Bible says the Lord was with him and he grows in admiration in the house and the Bible says that, that Potiphar withheld nothing from him except his wife. And his wife said, come lie with me. And he said, how could I do this great wickedness? Why was it great wickedness? Because he was under the lordship of God. God controlled everything he did. God cared about that. Amen. Well, so she claims that he tried to force her. And so he's thrown into prison. Obviously, Potiphar didn't believe his wife or he would have killed him. But he had to save face. So now Joseph is in jail. And yet the Bible says God was with him. And he, raises, he rises in favor in the eyes of the jailer. And all of a sudden now the jailer puts everything into his hand. And so now Joseph's running the jail. And he interprets the dream for the butler and the, and the baker. He tells one of you is going to, in three days, one of you is going to live. In three days, one of you is going to die. And the one dies and the one lives. And 
As he's leaving, he says, remember me to the king. And the Bible says he forgot Joseph. So for several more years, Joseph is there in prison. And then Pharaoh has a dream. He has two dreams. And all of his soothsayers and wizards couldn't interpret his dream. And one of them said, I remember there was a man in prison who said that his God can interpret dreams. And so he brings Joseph before him and Joseph has to get cleaned up. Why? Because Joseph has been living in squalor, covered in filth, eating probably bugs. Awful. But now he's standing before the king and he says, can you interpret my dream? And he says, do not interpretations belong to God. It is not in me. God will give you an answer of peace. That's what he said. Amen. Isn't that good? You know what? As a preacher, there's nothing in me. But I'm going to tell you what God's word says. And God told him that his answer of peace had a good side and a bad side. The good side was there's going to be seven years of plenty. The bad side is there's going to be seven years of famine. And so Pharaoh raises him up, puts him on the right hand. And all through this, we can see that he is a type of Jesus Christ. He's hated by his brethren without a cause. He brings their evil report. Jesus Christ spoke to them because their deeds were evil, their deeds were evil and they hated him for it. That's hard to say. <laughs> and so then he's cast into the pit where no water was. And the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 12, in verse 9, that when you eat that Passover, don't eat it sodden with water. There's no water. And of course, Jesus Christ, when he was on the cross, said, I thirst. Great type of Jesus Christ. It's interesting. Even the merchants that took him down into Egypt, they were carrying myrrh. And that's what they brought to Jesus Christ. Gold for his deity, frankincense for his priesthood, and myrrh for his death. And he goes and he's thrown down into the pit, which of course is a picture of death, but he's raised up out of the pit alive. Amen? And he lives. And he's raised up to the right hand of the king. And you know what happens when he's on the right hand of the king? The king gives him a new name. His name is Zaphath Penaeneah. And that name means Savior of the world. And Jesus Christ, after he had risen from the dead, the Bible says, Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him, and given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen? And you know what they said? He gave him a new name, but he had some guys run before him and say, Bow the knee, bow the knee, bow the knee. He's just an amazing picture of Jesus Christ all through it. And then, of course, he's raised up to sit on the right hand of the Father. The Father gives him a new name. The King gives him a new name. The king also gives him a Gentile bride. And you know what we are? We are the Gentile bride. Next thing that happens is seven years of famine. Seven years of famine. The story of Joseph is the story of Jesus Christ. It's the story of redemption. It's such a wonderful thing. So now, he's on the throne. We've looked at the beginning of Genesis chapter 42. And Jacob says, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. I saw People that have come back, there's corn in Egypt. And he says, get you down and get the corn. And so the sons of Israel go, but he keeps back Benjamin. The other sons go down to Egypt. And let's pick up the story and look at what happens. Genesis chapter 42. The long, hard road to repentance. Verse 3. Genesis 42, verse 3. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Je Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren. For he said, lest peradventure mischief befall him. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold, all, that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Isn't that what, Je isn't that what Joseph's dream was? 
But Joseph's dream was that all 11 brothers would bow. So this is the partial fulfillment of the dream. But do you know what I can promise you? If God says something, it's going to happen. Amen? It's sure. So now look at what happens. Verse 7, And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. Remember what happens. The Bible says that blindness has come in part to the Jews. Right now, the Jews do not accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, that's as a general rule. There are Jews that get saved, and praise God for every one of them that come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. John Hagee says they don't need to get saved because they're under the old covenant. John Hagee's just wrong. The Apostle Paul might have disagreed with him. Amen. What did he say? He was willing to be cursed. He was willing to lose his own personal salvation if his brethren, the Jews, would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he wrote to us in Romans chapter 9, chapters 9 through 11, that he's not done with Israel. But right now, blindness has come in part to the Jews. I am Haldeman was pastor of the First Baptist Church in New York City. 1904, he wrote this book, How to Study the Bible. Listen to what he says about Joseph. He says, Joseph spake roughly unto them, and he put them all together into ward, that's prison, three days. Joseph was the cause of their trouble now. Joseph was punishing them for their past dealing with himself. The secret of all Judah's suffering during the past centuries is to be found in the fact that they rejected Messiah, that the rejected Messiah has been dealing roughly with them. He has been punishing them making use of their willfulness and the cupidity of the nations, but all the same punishing them. Hosea 9:17. My God will cast them away because they did not hearken unto him, and they shall be wanderers among the nations. He that scattered Israel, Jeremiah 31:10. All countries, whither I have driven them, Jeremiah 32, 37. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, Matthew 23, 38 and 39, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation, Matthew 23, 35 and 36. Nothing can account for the unparalleled suffering of this people, but the judgment and discipline of of the Lord. He has spoken roughly unto them. What's amazing is that was written in 1904. The Holocaust hadn't happened yet. And what did they say? What did the Jews cry during the Holocaust? God, how could you do this to us? How could you do this to us? But you know what we know? They are still God's chosen people. They are the apple of his eye. We did not replace Israel. God loves His people. He loves His brethren. And one day, after seven years of tribulation, seven years of famine, they will come and bow before Him and say, You are our God. And He'll say, You're my people. Amen? That is exactly what's going on in this text. Don't ever miss it. But there are things for us Gentiles also in this text. So here we have... Joseph is speaking roughly to them. He puts them in jail for three days. Then if you look at verse 17, and he put them all together in ward three days. And Joseph said unto them the third day, this do and live for I fear God. Now, don't, don't miss it. How many of you noticed something right there already? The third day. 
When you see the third day in your Bible, there's always death and resurrection. They thought they were going to die. And he says, this do and live after three days. That's a blessing right there. All right, now, if you be true, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye, carry corn for the famine of your houses. And what they learn here is the importance of a substitution, of a substitution. One can take the penalty for all. And he says, go and bring to me, look at what it says, verse 20, but bring your youngest brother unto me, so shall your words be verified, and ye shall not die, and they did so. So he goes, they leave him, they take Simeon, they put him in jail, and it's interesting, Simeon didn't volunteer. Joseph took him. Do you know that it was Simeon that was the ringleader for Joseph being taken? and being sold into slavery. We had seen in Genesis chapter 34 how cruel Simeon was. Simeon was an evil person. And so Joseph takes him. He says, here, let let, let me let you taste a little bit of what's going on. Do you know why else he did that? He wanted to remove the evil influence from his brothers so they could make a good decision. And so we see the hard road, the hard, long road, to repentance. Now, so let's do a couple of things before we actually get into the text. The first thing that I want us to understand is the command to repentance. The command to repentance. Let's just go quickly to the book of Revelation. Keep Genesis, if you, in case you don't know where it is. Um, but look at Revelation, chapter 2, verse 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. Remember, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. Look at verse 16. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Look at verse 21. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Look at verse 22. Behold, I will cast her into a bed with them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. Chapter 3, verse 3. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, hold fast and repent. If thou, therefore, shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. What is this speaking of? Now, those of you who have been to Grace Baptist Church for any length of time, you know that these are seven churches. Jesus Christ is giving a letter to seven specific churches in Asia Minor. And these churches were literal historic churches, but they also represent seven periods of church history. And in each of these churches, he tells them, repent, repent, repent. This is the command to repent. Do you know that everyone needs to repent? And it's interesting, there are preachers today who stand in a pulpit and they just want people to walk an aisle and pray a prayer they want people to believe something, and they, don't, they do not believe that repentance is necessary. It's interesting. You know the first recorded words we have of John the Baptist? Do you know what they are? Repent. Do you know what the first recorded words of Jesus Christ in the New Testament are? Repent. Repent. We must repent. Well, that all sounds good, but what does it mean to repent? What does that mean? You know, I looked at Webster's 1828 Dictionary. If you ever want a great understanding of your Bible and the English, go to Webster's 1828 Dictionary. He'll explain to you exactly what the words mean. Let me tell you what Webster said. The definition of repentance. In theology, 
to sorrow or be pained for sin as a violation of God's holy law, a dishonor to his character and government, and the foulest ingratitude to a being of infinite benevolence. Then he quotes, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. That's what Jesus Christ said. Here's the definition of repentance. The pain, regret, or affliction which a person feels on account of his past conduct because it exposes him to punishment. This sorrow, proceeding merely from the fear of punishment, is called legal repentance, as being excited by the terrors of legal penalties, and it may exist without an amendment of life. There are lots of people in jail who are sorry they got caught. That's legal repentance. That's not scriptural repentance. How many of you remember as a young person getting caught? And you were really sorry that you got caught. That's not repentance. Real penitence, sorrow, or deep contrition for sin as an offense and dishonor to God a violation of His holy law and the basest ingratitude towards a being of infinite benevolence. This is called evangelical repentance. And listen, it is accompanied and followed by an amended an amendment of life. See, biblical, scriptural repentance is when you come to God for salvation. You repent of your sin, acknowledging that you deserve punishment. That's what repentance is. And you submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Would you look at Romans chapter 10 with me? Romans chapter 10. And when you have Romans chapter 10... Hold that there and go to Acts chapter 20. Verse 21. You know what? Let's start reading in verse 17 of Acts chapter 20. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. Okay, so now this is Luke writing about the Apostle Paul. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many, fe- with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. What does it say? Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's see how that happens. Romans chapter 9. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 10. And verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the what? Now, is it just Jesus or is it the Lord Jesus? Now, let me ask you a question. That word Lord, is that a superficial word? 
Is that a throwaway word? Does it have significance or meaning? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the Bible says, I am God. I will not share my glory with another. You know what he said, though? I am the Lord God. And now here, we're acknowledging Jesus as Lord. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Let's read on. And believe and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Then he explains how that happens. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Confession of what? See, here's what we say. We say confession of sin. We confess our sin. No. What are we confessing here? According to Romans 10, 9. What, what, what are we confessing? Jesus is Lord. See, there's more to this than just, do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you believe that he died on the cross? Yeah, yeah. Do you believe that you're a sinner? Yeah, oh yeah. Okay, good news, you're going to heaven. That is not biblical salvation, folks. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... And shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord, what? Is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of Jesus. Is that what it says? The Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You see, what we are supposed to do is preach the word of God and repentance toward God and faith. In Jesus Christ. There's the command to repent. The definition of repentance is an acknowledgement of your sinful condition and that you have violated the righteousness of a holy and sovereign God who must, by rights, condemn you to an eternal hell. That's what repentance is. Have you ever wrestled with your sin? What we do is there somebody says they're having trouble in their marriage. Life is hard. And they say, oh, life is hard. Oh, if only I could have this pain removed. I want to get rid of this pain. All right. Will you receive Jesus Christ as your savior? Okay. If this will take away my pain. Sure. That's not salvation. Salvation is understanding you deserve the pain. Now, that doesn't mean Christ won't take away your pain. He's a gracious God. He loves us. He wants to give us all kinds of good stuff. He wants to do all kinds of good things to, for us. But none of those things are salvation. Salvation is the removal of our sin. But before that can happen, is you've got to acknowledge that you have sin. And that you are a sinner who has violated a holy and a righteous God. And you acknowledge who He is. And you say, Lord... 
I am changing teams from my team to your team. You're in charge. I'm not. You're my Savior. You're my Lord. You know it's impossible to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior without accepting Him as your Lord? Uh, now, I don't have time to go into it. I do want to mention this because people will be listening to this all over the world through the Internet. There's a controversy called Lordship Salvation. How many of you have heard of the controversy over Lordship Salvation? Like three of you. So I won't spend a whole lot of time on this. There's a controversy. John MacArthur wrote a book called The Gospel According to Jesus, and in it he took the verses that apply to discipleship and applied them to salvation. Confused a lot of people. It confused a lot of people. Now, the funny thing is when MacArthur gives the gospel, he gives it just like we do. Amen? So I don't call him a heretic. But that book confused a lot of people. So people wrote books in response to it. Jack Hiles and Curtis Hudson came out and said that you just have to believe. All you have to do is believe. You don't have to repent. You just believe. And so right now, and that happened 25 years ago. Ever since then, there's been a lot of confusion in churches. Now, look. I don't know what Jack Hiles was trying to say. I'm not sure what MacArthur was trying to say. But I know that Jesus Christ said you've got to call him Lord. I, I know that it says that if thou shalt, what does it say? For whosoever shall call on the name, what? Of the Lord shall be saved. I, I'm sorry. He can't be your Savior without being your Lord. Amen. No, let me say this. Salvation is by grace through faith. You don't have to change your life to get saved. You can't change your life to get saved. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by His mercy, He saved us. You can't do anything to get saved. But in receiving that gift of salvation, it is an acknowledgement of Him as Lord and then he changes your life. Why? Because now he's in charge. Amen? It's just so simple. Yet people get it confused. So that is the definition of repentance. But now, let's look at the text. Go back to Genesis chapter 42. There's a command to repent. And now, Joseph is leading his brothers to repentance. All right, now, here's what happens. Joseph tells his brothers that he's going to keep Simeon and that they have to go home, and as they go home, they're going to take bread. They're going to be able to live, but it's a limited supply. And if they want to have life, then they need to bring Benjamin back to prove that they're telling the truth. Do you know what Joseph is doing? He's using Benjamin as a tool to see if they're going to repent. He wants to see if there's been any change in his brothers. So he keeps Simeon, the troublemaker. He sends the others back. But as he sends them back, you know what he does? He puts the money that they paid for the food back in their bags. You know what they are? They find the money, and they're confused by grace. Look what the text says. Chapter 42, verse 34. And bring your youngest brother unto me, then shall I know that ye are no spies, but that ye are true men. So will I deliver you your brother. 
and ye shall traffic in the land. And it came to pass, as they emptied their sacks, that, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. Let's go back. Look at chapter 41. I'm sorry, chapter 42. Verse 25, And Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and to restore every man's money into his sack and to give them provisions for the way. And thus did he unto them. And they laded their asses with the corn and departed thence. And as one of them opened his sack to give his ass provender in the inn, he espied his money. For behold, it was in his sack's mouth. And he said unto his brethren, My money is restored, and lo, it is even in my sack. And their heart failed them. And they were afraid, saying one to another, What is this that God hath done unto us? Isn't that interesting? So let's look at this. Confused by grace. First of all, sometimes grace is confused with weakness. When you, we, we expect that when someone is gracious, they are simply kind. And they would never be tough. Well, if you look at Genesis 42, 7, And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake, li, and spake roughly unto them. Look at verse... Uh, 30, the man, this is when they're speaking about Jesus Christ, about Joseph or Jesus. The man who is the Lord of the land spake roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. And I want you to see this all through the text. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to take like two months worth of stuff and boil it down into one message. But don't miss this. This is so cool. The man, they keep calling him the man, the man. You know what the Bible says? Behold, the man. Behold the man. But here, let's look at this. What are we talking about? We might have been a little scattered this morning. It happened before, right? What are we talking about? The long, hard road to repentance. Repentance is commanded. Repentance is defined. And now we're seeing how Joseph is bringing things into the lives of his brothers to bring them to a place of repentance. The first thing that he does is when they come for food, he gives them their money back. Why? Because you can't buy eternal life. You can't buy it. And yet he gives them their money. And when they look at the money, they think, what is this? What is this? And they're confused by the goodness of God. Now, this is really important because to their minds, physical prosperity was the sign of God's blessing. Remember when Jesus Christ told his disciples, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Remember when Jesus Christ said that? Remember what his disciples' response was? Well, then who, who then can go? If a rich man can't make it, who can? Because the idea was in their mind, if I have stuff, God has blessed me. Well, it's true. If you have anything, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, from above, from the Father of lights. Amen? If you have something good, it's because God gave it to you. But here's what happens to us. When we have the blessings of God, sometimes we think we're okay. We think we're okay. And so someone hears the message that they are sinners in des that deserve hell. And yet God is still blessing them. And this grace can cause confusion. So then we see they didn't know the compassion 
that was behind the hard words of Joseph. You know, when Jesus Christ tells you that you're a sinner, that you need to repent, those are hard words. But look at verse 24. Look at chapter 42 and verse 24. And he turned themself and he turned himself about from them and wept and returned to them again and communed with them and took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. You see, they didn't know the compassion that was behind it. And we need to understand that the Christ who tells us that we need to repent is also the one that grieves for our souls. Remember, he stood over Jerusalem and he wept and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered thee under my wings as a hen does her chicks? And ye would not. He weeps for us. We're confused by this grace. And these men were confused by this grace. What they didn't know was that God blesses us because of His grace, not because of our merit. And this confuses the unregenerate mind. Chapter 42, look at verse 25. And they made ready the present against Joseph and came at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand and into the house and bowed themselves to him to the earth. And he asked them of their welfare and said, sorry, I'm in chapter 43. I read the wrong chapter. And Joseph commanded, verse 25, to fill their sacks with corn and to restore every man his money into his sack and to give them provisions for the way. And thus did he unto them. And they laded their asses. And we read this. And they found that their money is there. And they said, what is it that God hath done to us? It confused them. Well, there's some improper responses to this grace. Look at verse 29, same chapter, 42, verse 29. And they came unto Jacob, their father, unto the land of Canaan, and told him all that befell unto them, saying, The man who is the Lord of the land spake roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. And we said unto him, We are true men. We are no spies. We be twelve brethren, sons of our father. One is not, that's Joseph, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. And the man, the Lord of the country, said unto us, Hereby shall I know that ye are true men. Leave one of your brethren here with me, and take food for the famine of your households, and be gone, and bring your youngest brother unto me. Then shall I know that ye are no spies, but that ye are true men. So will I deliver you your brother, and ye shall traffic in the land. So now, what are their responses? First of all, they're saying they're true men. They think that they're okay. When they find the, the money, they say, wait a minute, we didn't do this. We didn't take this. We're good men. We didn't do this. Well, if they were true men, why didn't they send the money back? And this is what most people do. They receive the blessings of God. They know they don't deserve the blessings of God. They receive the blessings of God. And they never consider giving it back to God. Right? So when they do decide to go back, do you know what Jacob tells them to do? Take spices and almonds and, and the fruits that we have and a double portion and take it. Why? Because now Jacob 
thinks that he can buy his way out of this trouble. It's amazing how convoluted we get with the grace of God. God is good to us. Sometimes we take it and we think we can buy some grace, some more grace. You can't buy grace. Sometimes we take it and we absolutely forget who gave it to us. That's not right either. Improper responses to grace. Why do they improperly respond to grace? Because they're not saved. They don't have any idea what to do with the blessings of God. You know, it was Leona Helmsley left, what, $50 million to her dog? She didn't have any idea what to do with it. So now, let's go on. Confused by grace. The purpose of grace is to provide means and opportunity for repentance. So now, conviction of the sin comes. They realize they've got to do something. I want you to see two examples of conviction of sin. Chapter 42 and verse 20. Verse 21. And they said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore, is this distress come upon us? All right. We looked at that the other day. They understand that Joseph hasn't revealed himself to them. There's been nothing about Joseph said, but God is revealing their sin to them and they start acknowledging it. So there's conviction of sin, right? Now look at Reuben's response to this conviction of sin. Verse 22. And Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not against you, saying, Do not sin against the child? And ye would not hear. Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. Okay, so here's what he said. I told you not to do this. Really? Really? Let's look at how well he did. Genesis chapter 37. He's such a brave man. I told you so. Verse 21. So remember in verse 20, come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say some evil beast hath devoured him and we shall see what will become of his dreams. These were evil guys. They weren't going to have him reign over them or have dominion over them. Verse 21, and Reuben heard it and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness. Really? Let's go back to Genesis chapter 42. Verse 22. And Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not against you, saying, Do not sin against this child, and you would not hear. Yeah, yeah. you said don't kill him. Throw him in the pit. How's that for response to conviction of sin? Well, I'm not as bad as you guys are. Yeah, I was part of it, but I'm not like you. Interesting. So then he, they go back to their father and they say, look, here's what happened. If we're going to get more food, we've got to take Benjamin down. He wants to see Benjamin. And Jacob says, no way. No way. Well, Reuben offers a solution. Remember, we're talking about the brave, courageous Reuben. All right. Look at what he says. Chapter 43. Oh, no, we're still in chapter 42. Verse 36. And Jacob, their father, said unto them, me... Have ye bereaved of my children? Joseph is not. Isn't it interesting? Jacob knew they had done something to Joseph. Are you all with me? Jacob knew they had done something to Joseph. So he says, Ye, uh, me, have ye bereaved of my children? Joseph is not. Simeon is not. And ye will take Benjamin away? All these things are against me. I've got to tell you, 
It wasn't about Jacob. It was about Simeon and Joseph and Benjamin. Isn't that interesting? There's not going to be any chariot of fire coming down for Jacob. Jacob doesn't end his life on a high note. He has been a man of the flesh. He has been a man of conniving. And that shows you the grace of God. God saved him, changed his name to Israel, but he still acted in the flesh an awful lot. Look at what it says. And Reuben, brave, courageous Reuben, look at what he offers. And Reuben spake unto his father, saying, Slay my two sons if I bring him not to thee. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. Here, here, I'll take care of it. And, and if it doesn't work, kill him. And see, that's what we do. That, that's what the world does. Conviction comes. And you see that we're here we're in a bad spot. Repentance is needed. And we offer every solution, but the solution that will actually cost us something. Personally. Individual accountability. Individual responsibility. Now, let me say this. Right here, I see this action happen so much. There are dads who hear the preaching of the Word of God. They want to have a godly home. They're under conviction. And so they require their children to behave in a certain way. They require their wife to behave in a certain way. And they change, not an iota, personally. That's not the right response to conviction. Amen? Individual accountability. Individual responsibility. That's Reuben's response. Let's look at the second response that's given to us in the text. Judah's response. Judah's response. Look in chapter 43, verse 1. And the famine was sore in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the corn which they had brought out of Egypt. Their father said unto them, Go again, buy us a little food. And Judah spake unto him, saying, the man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. If thou wilt send our brother with us, we will go down and buy thee food. But if thou wilt not send him, we will not go down. For the man said unto us, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. So what he's saying is, look, there's only one way we're going to get this food. The guy told us, and he didn't seem like one who's going to change. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today. And forever. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's a broad way that leadeth to destruction, but there's a narrow way that leadeth to life everlasting. Amen? It's just demonstrated right here. Now look at what it says. And Israel said, Wherefore dealt you so ill with me as to tell the man whether ye had yet a brother? Now here's, what does Joseph fall back on again? Why did you tell him the truth? I mean, Jacob. Why did you tell him the truth? Isn't that a, now something that I have that, that I've got to spend some time on? I don't understand it. He's called Israel here while he's saying it. That's a little confusing. I don't get it. But anyway, he's used to manipulating, and that's what he's falling back on again. But then he continues. And they said, The man asked us straightly of our state and of our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to the tenor of these words. Could we certainly know that he would say, bring your brother down? Now look at this. Different, different response. Proper response to conviction. And Judah said unto Israel his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die 
both we and thou and also our little ones. I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. Here's what conviction does. Con- true, the, the proper response to genuine conviction is personal accountability. I have to take care of this myself. You can't take care of it for me. You can't take care of it for me. No one else can take care of it for me. I'll take care of it myself. But look at what he knows. When he responds right, the children will do better. My family will do well if I respond right. Proper response to conviction. Now, I want you to see the biblical a biblical example of repentance. Reuben has come through, didn't respond right. Judah comes through and responds right. Look at this. I want you to see repentance voiced. Look at chapter 44. They go down, and here's what happens. Joseph, he has them come in. He fixes them a meal, and the, the Egyptians wouldn't eat with Hebrews. And they didn't notice that Joseph ate by himself. But he didn't eat with his brothers. And what he does is he gives each of them food, but he gives Benjamin five times as much as his brothers. What's he checking? Are they envious of the favored son? What's he looking for? A change. Repentance. And so as they leave, he gives them their food, but he, he gives all their money back in their bags, but he takes his own special cup and he has his servant hide it in Benjamin's bag. And he sends his servant, his steward, out after them as they're leaving. And he says, someone took Joseph's cup and the one who took it will be my servant. And they're all proud. They know they didn't take it. Well, go ahead and check it. And surely the one who takes it will be your servant. And he starts with the oldest, Reuben's, and checks his pack. And goes by age. And it's interesting, when he set the table for them, he put them all by age. They had to be thinking, how does he know this? Well, what's happening? He's revealing himself to them a little bit at a time to see how they'll respond. And so they get to Benjamin's. And there's the cup. And Joseph shows his wrath. And he says, you'll be my servant. And Judah steps forward. And what we're going to see now, and I know this probably hasn't been the most interesting sermon of your life, but I want you to see something amazing. One of the most beautiful pictures of substitution in the Bible. Right here. Let's look at this. He voices his repentance. Joseph asks him some questions. Look at verse 14. And Judah... And his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there, and they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said unto them, What deed is this that ye have done? What ye not, that such a man as I can certainly divine? What's he saying? Don't you know that I can see the future? And we shall see what will become of his dreams. He's revealing himself to them. But first thing that I want you to see 
is the position of repentance. Look at 44, verse 14. And Judah, notice that he's in the lead now. He's not the oldest. And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there, and they fell before him on the ground. Why? Because they knew that the cup was there. They knew that they were in trouble. The conviction of sin has been laid evidently before them, even though they were innocent of that charge. The position, you know what the the position of repentance is? Bowing your face before the Lord. Humbling yourself. Then the questions of repentance. Here's what happens. When you understand where you really are, look at verse 16. And Judah said, what shall we say unto my Lord? Can I ask you a question? What do you have to say? Lord, I deserve... No. Lord, I'm going to try and do... No. Lord, how could you... No. What can we say? Look at his next question. What shall we speak? Nothing. Look at this. Or how shall we clear ourselves? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. In me. That is, in my flesh, there abideth no good thing. The questions of repentance. The clear voice of repentance. Look at what it says. Verse 16. Middle of the verse. God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants. Behold, we and he also with whom the cup is found. That's Benjamin. And he said, God forbid that I should do so. But the man in whose hand the cup is found, he shall be my servant. And as for you, get you up in peace unto your father. Job said, get out of here. Go. Now look at what Judah says. Then Judah came near unto him and said, I want you to see here the prayer of repentance. The first thing is a prayer of urgency. Then Judah came near unto him and said, Oh, my Lord, Let my servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not thine anger burn against thy servant, for thou art even as Pharaoh. You see, it's a prayer of urgency. Look, just give me a second. Let me me pray. Hear my voice just for a minute. Don't let your anger burn against me yet. When you come, to the place of repentance. That's where you realize that you could be cast into hell at any moment and deservedly so. And it's a begging prayer. Oh God, please hear me now. It's a prayer of urgency. We think that somebody can just say, okay, yeah, let's get this prayer over with. i got a football game to watch. It's a prayer of urgency. But it's also a prayer of recognition. Look at the first thing that he recognizes. He says at the end of verse 18, For thou art even as Pharaoh. Do you know what you need to say to Jesus Christ? You're God. You're the Lord. It's a prayer of recognition. It's a prayer of recognition of who Jesus is, and it's a prayer of recognition of what God has done to bring them to Himself. Look at what it says. Verse 19. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have ye a father or a brother? And we said unto my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, a little one. 
and his brother is dead. Who's that speaking of? And he alone is left of his mother, and his father loveth him. And thou saidst unto thy servants, Bring him down unto me, that I may set mine eyes upon him. And we said unto my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. And thou saidst unto us, or unto thy servants, Except your youngest brother come down with you, ye shall see my face no more. And it came to pass, when we came up unto thy servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, Go again and buy us a little food. And we said, We cannot go down if our youngest brother be with us. Then will we go down. For we may not see the man's face except our youngest brother be with us. And thy servant... Hold on just a second. What is he saying? saying, God, I know you have brought me to this place. You have arranged my life and brought me to this place of conviction and repentance. It's recognition that even the repentance is not from you. It's from God. The prayer of repentance, prayer of recognition, recognition of who God is, a recognition of what he's done to bring you to this place. And then it's a recognition of how much pain he's caused the father. Look at what it says. Verse 27. And thy servant, my father, said unto us, You know that my wife bare me two sons. And the one went out from me and said, Surely he is torn in pieces, and I saw him not since. And if ye take this also from me, and mischief befall him, ye shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to thy servant my father, and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life, it shall come to pass, when he seeth that the lad is not with us, that he will die, and thy servant shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant our father with sorrow to the grave. When you go to God in repentance, do you know what you're doing? You're telling the son that you recognize the pain that you caused the father. Do you know when the sky turned black? When Jesus Christ said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And gave up the ghost. The sun refused to shine. The earth shook. The sorrow that was in the Godhead at that moment, there's no way for us to explain. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he suffered more than the cumulative suffering of all of the suffering of all of mankind. In those few moments, repentance is acknowledging the pain that you caused the Father and you caused the Son. It's recognition and acknowledgement of who God is, of how He's brought you to Him, and what you have done. Then, it's a recognition. We, it's a recognition and a prayer of surrender. Look at what he says. Verse 32. For thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, If I bring him not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now therefore I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad, a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father 
and the lad be not with me. Lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come to my father. It's a prayer of surrender. He gave up his life for the life of his brother and for the love of his father. And it's a prayer of helplessness. Look, you know what repentance is? It's coming and saying, Lord, I deserve hell. The only thing that's left for me is to be your servant. That's it. That's what repentance is. Remember the prodigal son? He'd gone away. He had spoiled half of his father's income. And now in his old age, the, the, the father is old and he's looking out and the son comes to himself and says, even my father's servants eat better than I am. And he comes home and he's got this speech prepared. He says, I'll be your servant. Just let me be a servant in your house. And what happens? The father sees him afar off and runs to him and falls on his neck and kisses him, puts a ring on his finger and the coat on his hand and says, kill the fatted calf for my son has come home again. Do you know what happens when you repent and you make yourself a servant before God? He lifts you up and he calls you his brother. What happens here? He repents. Look at chapter 45. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him. For they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. You know what happens when there's proper repentance? God brings you to that place of proper repentance. You can respond properly or you can respond improperly. When you genuinely repent, do you know what God does? He raises you up and Jesus Christ calls you His brother. We become heirs and joint heirs with Christ. Isn't that a blessing? Proper repentance. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word.